Well, again, we're discussing how we are designed by God. We were designed male and female. We talked about that last night. We're designed to work, and we talked about that just uh, previously. We're designed for community. We're saying that we're designed needing other people. That's why we're out in the hall talking with each other, uh, because we're made. To, now, now, again, Americans uh, tend to want to go it alone. I mean, I hear that Daniel Boone said, we can see another man's campfire, uh, time to move on. Yeah. Uh, so, so we like sometimes to go to our own way. There's some, but that's contrary to God's intention. God's intention is that we live in community with others. And so this is why it's good for us to be together, uh, uh, to enjoy this stuff. We call it fellowship, uh, friendships. But I'm going to use the word community. God has called us, created us to live in community. Again, we want to follow the same procedure, looking at uh, uh, Scripture, community as created, impact of the fall, community in Christ, community in the future, in the eschaton, the consummation. So let's think about God's intention for us to live in community. I think it's kind of evident. Think of how humans are, are conceived and born. We begin our, our life inside another human being, inside our mothers. And we're, we're there for nine months. And if we try to live on our own, then we'll die. We come out too soon, we die. And even after we're born, babies can't survive without other people. So God, in his grace, has us born into families, communities, those types of things. The very first words of God to be fruitful, multiply, create a community, those types of things. And so uh, this is not just about marriage, but it's not good for any person to live alone, not just any man. We need each other, those types of things. We were talking again in terms of when there's unemployment, when there's scarcity, those that make make us realize our need for each other. So community... It's not something uh, that is just by the fall, though. This is something from the beginning. Even think about God's own nature. God is a three-in-one community. And if we're made in God's image, does that say that we too are made needing community, those types of things? Well, I think there's something that in being made in God's image, but that's a talk for another time, yeah? And we're, we're designing God's image. But I think, so I think this is the fact that God created us, intending us to live not isolated lives, but live in the community with others. Now, what happened in the fall? Well, uh, flip with me from Genesis 3 on. From Genesis 3, we have see how, how sin destroys community. First thing, um, the husband-wife relationship. When uh, God asked Adam, well, you did that tree, what did he say? That woman that you gave me, uh, uh, she told me, uh, she gave me the fruit. Now, again, that's a, he was with her. He didn't say, honey, don't do that. Don't you be the command? Apparently, he was passively standing by letting Satan attack his wife. Didn't do anything to defend her, keep her from their stuff. But anyway, that's another, another topic. But they were there. So he blames his wife. Their relationship began to deteriorate then. And then in chapter 4, how about brothers, siblings? Cain kills Abel. Move on to chapter 6, flood. Again, because people were wicked, those types of things. Only one family was saved there. And then chapter 11, Tower of Babel. So once sin enters, 
community becomes difficult. It's difficult to, to have these type of things. Now, God's still in tension in Genesis 2. He says, I'm going to speak to Abraham. I'm going to make you my people. In fact, look at Genesis 12 for a second. There's a, a, a great, kind of the Old Testament great commission there. Genesis 12, 3, and God says to Abram, I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God's intention is to do something through Abraham to make for himself a people. And, and the, if you want to do a great Bible study, look at their friend. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Not my individuals, they'll be my people, connected, community, those types of things. So, so uh, we see the fall begins to make community very, very problematic, very, very difficult. Now, and so the Old Testament gives all these types of laws designed to help people love their neighbor as themselves, to make good community. Interesting little laws, for example, when you build a house, Put a parapet around the roof so someone won't fall off. Yeah? You see your neighbor's ox in a ditch? Help them out. This is flushing what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. They especially focus on uh, the widow, the orphan, and the alien. Uh, the widow the, and the stranger, they call. So those three are especially vulnerable groups. Now, again, uh, one thing I, I just want you to be aware of, because you are here in this area, you should be aware of Southeastern, and their website, chapel services are there. This past Tuesday, David Platt spoke on true religion. It's caring for the vulnerable. We're listening from, from James 1. So, so check out the Southeastern website, scbts.edu. Lots of great resources there. Uh, so that, that, that the chapel service this past Tuesday. Uh, so this is people care for the weak, the vulnerable, those that are... If, if there's someone hungry, you can, uh, let them glean in your fields. The truth did in the book of Ruth, those types of things. Even to the point where they thought of themselves not so much as individuals, but as parts of a group. Look at Nehemiah for the, the book of Nehemiah, a couple of places in Nehemiah. Again, after all the historical books, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Look at Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah 1. He says, uh, I confess the sins we Israelites, myself and my family, have committed. He says, I'm not just dealing with myself as an individual. I'm part of a family. And he says, we have sinned. In Nehemiah 9, they confess the sins of the whole nation. Now, uh, so question, are we responsible for the sins of our family? Of our nation? Or is this just something Old Testament stuff? Uh, I think Americans are notoriously individualistic, and there is individual responsibility. Ezekiel 18 says, The soul that sins will die. You're responsible for your sins, but we don't exist as isolated individuals. We're connected. John Dunn said, No man is an island, and therefore we impact each other. I don't think I'm, I'm guilty for the sins of others before God, but Nehemiah confessed that I and my 
Then my ancestors, we, we confess all those, we're connected in some way, those types of things. And so they had a sense that we don't exist just as isolated individuals. We exist in larger groups. And there's something of corporate accountability. So because we exist in these, that we are a part of, well, at least in the old set, they, they confess something of corporate confessions, those types of things. But mostly in the Old Testament, uh, there was a problem. In fact, uh, the word for, for fellowship, koinonia, doesn't occur in the Old Testament. And I think the reason is the Holy Spirit's activity was less then than after Jesus came. Look at John 7, 39 for a second. Very important verse, very fascinating verse. John 7, 39, Jesus says there, it's at the end of the festival, he's there. He was speaking of the Spirit, he says, whom those who believed were later to receive, uh, this is John 7, 39, up to that time, Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He says, Spirit not yet given in Jesus, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I think the glorification is combination cross, resurrection, exaltation. So in some way, we today have the Spirit in a way that Moses didn't, David didn't, Isaiah didn't. We have the Spirit. It's given. Well, it wasn't given then. And I think one thing the Spirit does is create fellowship. And so I think in the old set, the reason why they had difficulty in having true fellowship, the lack of the Holy Spirit. So which brings us to what happens in uh, uh, under redemption. So uh, creation in, in the beginning, community was God's desire for us. The fall makes that difficult. We're fallen people, have our problems, husbands, wives, brothers, siblings, all those types of relationships are made more difficult. I was talking with one of the guys at the break. And again, uh, in, in marriage counseling, remember, every marriage is one sinner marrying another sinner. Yeah? Sparks going to fly. <laughs> so this is the difficulty. Uh, but in the new set, in the, the, under redemption, spirit comes. And so Jesus comes. He is part of what's called a strong group culture. And in his culture, the group is more important than the individual. For example, when you marry, you don't marry for your personal pleasure and romance. You marry for the good of your family. So that they think of group first, those types of things. But Jesus changed the basis. Your family is no longer blood. Your family is those who are part of Jesus' group. Look at two verses that kind of interpret each other. Matthew 10 and Luke 14. Matthew 10. These are some of the verses that are not that family-friendly in Jesus' teaching. Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Well, so, so blood family takes a back seat to devotion to Jesus. Luke goes even more. In fact, Luke 14 says, you must hate your wife and brothers and mothers. And, well, again, hate in comparison to your love for him. So in, in uh, Jesus' time, his group takes prey even over your blood family. Now, again, hopefully your blood family are part of God's family. But again, 
And Jesus' teaching, first loyalty belongs to Jesus' group. Okay. So we, we look for Jesus then to say, okay, now I'm founding this thing called the church. That'll be where you find fellowship, those types of things. Interesting. In the Gospels, the word church occurs in only two verses and only in Matthew. Why would this, this word church not appear that more, more often in the Gospels? Any speculation? I think it has to do with what happened in Acts 2. Acts 2, Jesus now glorified. He sends the Spirit. So look at Acts 2 for a second because we'll see something there. Acts 2, of course, this is called coming the, the birthday of the church. I think that's accurate. I think that the conception was in God's call of Abraham. And the pregnancy was the whole testament. The Gospels are labor pains, and here we have birth. Acts 2, and so the Spirit is falling upon these people. Skip down to verse 42. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is the first occurrence of the word koinonia, fellowship, community. And I think it occurs here because the Spirit is the one who creates fellowship. And this is why on this day, it didn't appear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John or Acts 1, but Acts 2, when the Spirit comes, now they devoted themselves, and devoted themselves to fellowship. This is what the church is all about. So this is where you should find koinonia, community, fellowship, friendship. That's why we're here, to enjoy not just teaching, but that time out in the lobby. You don't want to come back in because you're out there with your buddies. Those types of, Well, that should be something the Spirit does. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what the Spirit does in creating a fellowship, this idea. Well, the word koinonia, the root is Koinos, common. To have fellowship, have something in common with others. Spirit makes it, we share in common the same Savior, the same destiny, the same mission, the same need. So he makes us aware that, now, now I bet you've experienced that. Here's what happens. You meet a new believer, a fellow believer, start talking. In five minutes, you say, we're on the same page. Spirit's made you aware how much you share in common with that brother. That's the Spirit creating fellowship, making us aware we share so much income. So if we differ in terms of rich-poor, slave-free, Jew-Gentile, today, white, like those things don't matter because we share in common more important things. Same Savior, same destiny, same body, those types of things, and say, uh, uh, this is the Spirit creating fellowship. Now, again, this is preceded by Jesus' work on the cross, which breaks down those barriers. Look at Ephesians 2.14. This is the, the work of the cross. Jesus, but Paul says there in Ephesians 2.14, of what Christ has done to break down barriers between, not just between us and God, but other people. He says, He himself is our peace, who's made the two... Jew and Genesis, they made the two one, has to the barrier, the divine wall. I said, that, that barrier in the, the temple in Jerusalem, it was a barrier. This is the, the court of the Gentiles. You can't go any further. Wall there. Jesus 
broke down that wall. So we can come together into God's presence. So reconciliation is not just vertical with God. Reconciliation, horizontal, allowing us to embrace each other as brothers and as family. So this is how the Spirit does that. Now, it's interesting that that phrase in Ephesians and Acts 2, the devil themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Those are paired together. Apostles' teaching, here's a Bruce Milne's words. He says, only the truths of apostolic Christianity embraced and wholeheartedly adhered to effectively break up the sinful isolation of the human heart and create the possibility of true relationship at depth with us. What's he saying? Apostolic teaching, New Testament, that's what is necessary paired with fellowship because without that, you can't have true fellowship. Only as we walk in the light uh, is there fellowship there. So the Spirit, again, leads us to embrace that apostolic teaching, breaks up our isolation, because by, by nature, we tend to be isolated, either through pride or through shame. We're, we're afraid to let others get to know us uh, because we're not very nice people. Or we're too proud. Well, the New Testament teaching, the, the apostles' teaching for us is New Testament, yeah? That breaks up that isolation, allows us to embrace each other. Then Acts 2 gives a picture of what uh, living in community looks like. It says they shared things in common. They ate their meals together. When someone had a need, they would sell possessions to meet that need. Now, again, uh, that's radical. Uh, but this idea of Koinosh, having things in common, is most often used for sharing of financial resources. And we mentioned at the end of last session uh, that when one, one person has abundance, another has need, there should be some voluntary uh, meaning of that need. Uh, uh, not communism is important, but, but Christian community taking care of each other, those types of things. So we see this beginning in Acts with the coming of the Spirit. And I can't remember how important the Spirit is for creating true fellowship. Now, there are also counterfeit fellowships, yeah. There's, again, Steeler Nation and uh, all those fan clubs. Well, that's counterfeit fellowship. True fellowship is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why we, we in that, that, that benediction, may the, the love of God and the grace of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Spirit is especially associated with fellowship. Well, that, that's in the Acts. What does what Paul teach us about this idea of community and the rest of the New Testament as well? well uh, uh, this is primarily through the creation of the church. Those plants in Acts, how they live. This is the source of community and lots of different metaphors for the church. Uh, body of Christ, temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, people of God. But one image that I think needs to be especially emphasized, the church as family. Because, again, New Testament, we call God Father. And that wasn't done that much in the Old Testament. I, I went to Canning one time, and J.I. Uh, uh, Packer and, and put me on this. He said, this is a primarily New Testament concept. Old Testament, I went through the whole thing, and, and I said, all the verses that, that call God Father, 
compare God the Father and call us God's children, I found 14 verses in the whole Old Testament. There's 17 in the Sermon on the Mount. So in one three-chapter segment, more reference to God's Father than the whole Old Testament. Because again, now Jesus makes it possible to know God as Abba, Father. And so this is a, a Christian name for God. And if we call God Father, then uh, the church is a family. Then we call each other brother and sister. Now, again, I grew up with that. Yeah. Everybody's brother and sister. But Paul could have chosen call each other friend or a fellow worker or partner. He chose brother. And in Paul's culture, that was not a common term. In fact, in Paul's culture, the strongest relationship was not with your spouse, it was with your siblings. Now, again, now I'm not saying that should be the case, but in Paul's context, when he uses the word brother, he's using the word for the strongest relationship you have with anybody. He cannot choose a strong, so brother's dynamite to call someone brother, strongest possible connection, not a casual word to throw out. So when Paul uses it, he's saying the church is family, caring for each other and the strongest possible word. And so the, the, the numbers, we call God Father nearly 300 times, brother, sister, 224 times, things like that. And, and we live out that life in what I call the one another's. There are about 30 different one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, pray for, teach, admonish, build up, edify, honor, 30 one another's. You can't obey the Bible if you're not living in community. You can't do those one another's. You can do one another if you're by yourself. Yeah? You've got to connect with others to be an obedient Christian. So here's the idea I think we need to talk about. When we evangelize someone called the faith in Christ, faith in Christ and connection to his people. There's a book by name uh, Joseph Hellerman, and he says, again, he says, uh, justification involves familyfication. <laughs> well, simpler word, adoption. I got a colleague who, who said, uh, something just in casual passing. He said, we're saved from sin. We're saved for God. We're saved into a family and unto a mission. I really like that. Yeah. We're saved from, that's justification. We're saved for God, that's sanctification. We're saved into a family, that's adoption. We're saved unto a mission, that's commissioning. All that's involved in salvation. So, so uh, this is how we live out this thing, all these one another's. And, and what happens as a result of that, that's how you grow as a Christian. Look at Ephesians 4, a couple of verses there that mention this idea. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. He says, Speaking the truth in love, Will in all things grip into him who is the head, Christ, and then from him the whole body, joining him together, but every supporting limit, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. The body grows as each part does 
its work. The way Christians go to maturity is their involvement in community, in the body. That's how they get built up in those substances. You can't grow to maturity by yourself. So you, you get your Bible and you go off into your prayer closet. That's part. But you can't grow to maturity by yourself without the church. And so in, in uh, this book I mentioned by Joseph Elam, he says there's four themes in Paul's letters. Churches, they share an emotional bond with their members. You should feel a connection, not just mentally, but emotionally with these people here. You live in unity with each other. You share your resources with each other, and they project your commitment to the body comes first. So this is when you're connected to the body. Now, here, here's a test for yourself. You know, uh, Paul compares the church to a body. You know, my fingers are pretty closely connected to my hand. If you take one of them away, I will feel pain. So here's the test. If you leave this church to join another church and you don't feel pain, you will never remember here. You should feel a sense of being severed when you leave the body. Now, God may call you to another body, but there should be pain involved in leaving. And every time my wife and I have left, God's moved us on, there has been that pain. Because we were attached to other people, and that, that attachment has been severed. Now, again, the sad truth may be that many churches today don't come close to it, but we'll talk more about the problem, why that's so in a few moments. But this is God's design. So in, in redemption, in Christ, true community can be found. The source, Spirit makes that. But we find it in the church as we live out these one another's with each other. Again, uh, emotional bond, unity. And by the way, pray for your church's unity. Again, uh, Baptists especially specialize in church splits. Yeah. Uh, I got a feeling, not true Baptists, you've been through a church split. Yeah. That's, that's too sad, but true. So pray for your church's unity. Share resources. Have you ever shared your resources with someone here? Ever shared some money? Or even some like, you can borrow my lawnmower or something. Huh. Huh. Bodies should share resources with each other, and then your commitment to each other should be high. Huh. So, so this is community as Christ desires in the church. What about in the consummation? Huh. We think about this in terms of all the, the ideas of heaven, that being reunited with our loved ones in the Father's house, Many mansions, and we'll be there, those types of things. Wedding feast to the Lamb, big celebration there, those types of things. We're finally home. And so all these ideas of heaven have the idea of community, being with others. But I want to just, just caution us that if you're looking forward to heaven, mostly for being with your, lost, with your loved ones who are there now and not being with Jesus, I think priority is off there. I've been pondering a verse in Paul where he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Philippians 1, 2. Paul said, given my druthers, I'll leave right now. Um, because I, I, I desire to be with Christ, better by far. Now, Christ is down here with me in a limited way. I want to be with him personally, face to face. I wish I could say that verse honestly. 
I wish I I desire right now to depart. That's better by far. I can't really say that honestly yet. There's things that I want to accomplish. I want to uh, care for my wife all the way to the end. I want to walk her home. I want to hand her off into Jesus' hands. I'd like to do I I want my wife to die before me (laughs) Uh, because I want to see her all the way there. Um, But I desire to love Jesus so much, I could say, I desire to depart and be with him better by far. So deepen my love for him because with him is also, that's where you also find the rest of the community. So, so this is a, a biblical overview. What's happened in community in terms of looking at this in terms of other cultures, especially checking our understanding of community by the experience of other, well, most cultures, in most places, they have more emphasis on the group than the individual. These are called strong group cultures where the group comes first. So you think of them first. For example, uh, the, the illustration was, if you've ever seen the movie Titanic, yeah, uh, uh, the, the woman there, she has this rich suitor on the boat there and then this poor artist. And, and who should she uh, marry? She should marry the, the rich, uh, stuffy guy or the, the poor artist. It says, in a strong group culture, marry the rich guy. Better for the family. Uh, Don't put yourself, put the group first. Well, that's a group first culture. Well, that's true of most cultures outside of North America and the West. I have some friends in in Simmer who are from Kenya. If you ask them, who are you? They'll tell you, I'm of this family. I'm of this tribe. My identity is not what I do, who I'm part of. They identify them that way. Many cultures do that. North Americans, we went a different route. When we say, again, who are you? We expect, tell me what you do. Uh, well, that's individualistic. Now, there's, there's some hints of this. I have a, I have a great aunt who passed away, but she, when she met someone, she said, Tom, whose people are you? Yeah. I want to know who your, your grandparents are, who your, your mother is, who your cousin. I want to know your people. Because yeah. if I know them, I know something very important about you. Because you're part of a family. So in, in our culture, then, we largely value independence, isolation. I'm, I'm, I have to confess, when I met a college application essay, they write an essay about yourself. I said, I think of myself as self-reliant, able to take care of myself. That was so, so false. <laughs> now, humanly speaking, yeah. Uh, I, I was, had been doing my laundry since I was eight years old. So I, in, in those ways, but I didn't know. I need other people to go to maturity. But this is the American way. We value self-sufficiency and those types of things. And so uh, we kind of keep our commitments kind of loose. So uh, I go to church, but if they change the music, I don't like it. I can always go someplace else. Well, not if they're your family. You can't switch families. Yeah? Uh, well, that's the idea. Have that type of commitment. Now, there's a, a sad bo- a book out there called Bowling Alone. Now, just think of it that. Bowling Alone. Because we lack connections 
we lack community. Those that's a very very sad I think idea of bowling alone. There are things you should do with others. They're made for for community. Those types. Of, but he says we're losing community in the U.S. Uh, membership in civic clubs, organizations dropping. Uh, we're going things alone. Even we don't even shop outside. We we shop online. Don't need to see people in, in stores, those types of things. Well, uh, this is something peculiar to North America and the way. In most of the world, they value community, sitting down and talking with each other. Even in Muslim cultures, hospitality is a duty. If you visit someone, you got to spend a couple of hours talking to them, a couple of hours. Not very efficient. They value Community, I even have a friend from from Hungary, was a student southeastern. Said, "I don't understand you people. You say how are you, and then you walk on by. If you say how are you, that's an invitation to a conversation. Sit down. No, yeah. we're too busy for those types of things. And so, this is global, uh, globally strange, historically." Strange, these types of things. And so uh, just be aware that to create community, we're swimming against the stream of an individualistic culture. It'll be a little bit different. Let me talk for a few moments about community and theological perspective. Again, uh, salvation sees adoption as an essential part of salvation. So so when we're evangelizing, say, come to Jesus and to Jesus' group. So here's the thing. Can you be a Christian, an obedient Christian, and not be a member of a church? Yes? No? I think no. Again, you can be saved by yourself, but to be obedient, you got to obey the one another's. You can't do that by yourself. And to be connected to God's people. So again, for the very living of the Christian life, this is essential. And then for growing as a Christian, there's a phrase we don't use often in our churches, the means of grace. Now, now not the means of saving grace, that's the cross, and Christ, but the means of strengthening, sustaining grace. Second Peter says three, says growing grace. Well, well, how do we grow in grace? Well, God has instituted these different avenues that bring grace to us. There are things like hearing the preaching of the word, uh, the worship of God's people, even the Lord's Supper, encouragement from the, all these things are the means of grace. And if you're going to grow in grace, going to need to be in community. How about community with lost people? Can you have community with non-believers? Well, to some degree, unavoidable. For example, this Thanksgiving Christmas, probably a lot of you will be with family members who aren't believers. So you're going to be with them. So to some degree, and then people we work with, we want to be with them. We're seeking to be salt and light. In fact, look at John 17 for a second. I want to ask you about together. John 17, Jesus, high priestly prayer. He prays in in verses 14 uh, through 7 through 18, a very important priest says, uh, uh, verse 15, starts from verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. 
sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into, I have sent them into the world. So Christ sends us into the world, but don't be of the world. And this is the, uh, the classic idea. Don't be of the world, but do be in the world. So it's a question. Do Christians, do they err by being too little in the world or too much of the world? Are they too isolated from worldly people? Are they too much like worldly people? So uh, who says Christians are usually uh, too little in the world? Too little in the world. Too isolated. Too much of the world. Interesting. Yeah, the most you say, we're too much of the world. Now, when I ask this question at seminary, they say, we're too little in the world because they're in the seminary bubble. And so they say, we need more contact with lost people. But you say, you're, you're, you're out there. You're in that battle. It's like, well, we're, the danger for us is being too much of the world. Well, both of those temptations are real. But again, so, so this is what, to, to be in that, that struggle out there, you need to prioritize your commitment to people in the body that can build you up. Look at Galatians 6, a, a good balance here that, that Paul tells us in terms of how we should prioritize our, our community. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. He says, Let's not become weary in doing good. At the proper time, we reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So do good to all people to the degree that you can have fellowship with them, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. Well, let me begin to, to, to a practical term. So this is God's desire that we experience community. What are the problems with Christians? Well, I think probably the biggest thing is lack of time. Building community takes time, and that can be a struggle. For example, for you. How hard was it for you to make the time to be here this weekend? Uh, there are three or four things you could be doing this morning besides sleeping in. <laughs> so there, there, you, you had to make some sacrifices to be. You had to value being with other men. Uh, and that's the challenge. Now, it's interesting. The, the prime time for men developing deeper relationships is empty nesters and afterwards. Because before that, you're raising your kids, usually building your career. By the time you're, your kids are, well, you have more time to be with other men. So if you're in that situation, this is a time to step up, begin to engage with each other, form some partnerships some mentorships, those types of prayer, kind of, kind of those things like that. So, so you have more time once you are empty nester, you at least should use it, value fellowship. So lack of time, biggest obstacle, lack of value. I don't think I need that. I'm self-sufficient. It's not that valuable to me. So here's the question, just ask yourself, how many men in this church, would you say, I could confide a deep personal struggle with them, that, that, that they were able to know me? I feel free, able to, if I'm really going through something difficult, 
I could come to them for counsel, for support, for prayer, for encouragement. I could do that. Wouldn't be ashamed, wouldn't be afraid. That type of community we need to be developing. A third problem, again, unwillingness to pay the price. Community involves sticking with each other even when there are problems. Again, Joseph Hillman says, uh, these are some of the new set of values. He said, we stay, embrace the pain, and grow up with each other. That's what families do. You don't switch families because you have a problem. You work through that problem. So you stay. There may be some pain, some friction, but you grow up with each other. Long-term friendships, those types of things. Uh, so I think these things, lack of time, lack of value, uh, lack of willingness to pay the price, those things we have to overcome. But it's worth overcoming because I want to give you an illustration here of the strength of a band of brothers. Now, my father served in World War II in the, the close of the World War in, in Europe, 1945. Now, the winter of 1944-45 was one of the worst in history. So cold, icy, snowy. They're finishing up, but there's still some fighting to be done. Battle of the Bulls, those types of things were to happen. And Stephen Ambrose is a wonderful writer on that, that, that period. He said, what kept American soldiers fighting was not the ideal of, of justice and freedom for us. It's that what kept them going, I don't want to let my buddies down. The Army developed a cohesiveness where I can't let my buddies down. That may cause them to die. When this life or death thing, and I'm going to stick it out even when it's 30 below, because I don't want to let my buddies down. Couldn't the church develop that? Such closeness. I'm going to stick it out here. I'm going to stick this, this Christian thing up because I don't want to let my brothers, brothers down. Oh, so how to start? I want to share my own experience here. About 10 years ago, uh, I was in a men's group like this, a weekend thing. Started talking to a guy. We had refereed some kids' basketball games together, just barely knew each other. Having a conversation, he said, you know, I think I need someone to mentor me. Would you, be, would you mentor me? So we came meeting together. For 10 years now, we've met almost every week throughout the year, maybe 45 weeks a year, yeah. for 10 years. During that time, he has had a business go broke. His wife has abandoned him. He's come to, to be wonderfully remembered. We've walked together through all those things for 10 years now. It took some sacrifices to keep meeting when our, our lives got very busy, those types of things. Uh, but he is now one of my closest friends in the world. He said the same thing about me. We, we're brothers. Well, it took the commitment to be together. Again, we began by studying a book on how to read study the Bible together. But, but again, our basic point is sharing a life with each other. So I encourage you, mentorship. Find an older brother that you respect. Say, I'd like to hang out with you. Just maybe uh, an hour together once a week. There's, you know, what, what made it happen was time. Simply being with each other. Uh, so uh, this is the key thing. Now, I was also part of a very, very wonderful fellowship group uh, for about two years. It was really great. 
what finally ended it was time, kids, football schedules. We could not find a time to meet together. Uh, but with, with one person can usually be done. So I commend you this model of finding a band of brothers and, and sticking it out, staying together, investing in those relationships, and letting community happen. One final brief comment, I think I've gone over my time. Okay, one, one last thing. Uh, can community be found online? <laughs> okay, so some minutes to my own heart, things like that. Well, again, um, COVID forced us all to deal more with these things. So my, my faith group, my, my small group, we met via Zoom for a while, and, and I was pleasantly surprised. We at least saw each other, could speak to each other. It did something, but again, I don't think it can survive long-term. And there's a biblical commitment about not forsaking assembling together. And again, I don't think we can assemble online because we can't be honest. We can fake it online, but face-to-face, person-to-person, I think that's where it happens. So I'm not a fan of, of uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, although my, my kids connect with each other. Um, my bias may be showing here. I'm a, not a very technology guy, IBM, so again, but again, I think face-to-face is, is essential for true community. So this is how God designed us to be connected. So I commend you for being here today and pray that this will be the beginning of relationships that will continue and grow and develop into true community, true brotherhood in the days and weeks ahead.